Welcome to The Determined Mom Show, the only marketing podcast dedicated to guiding mom CEOs into tranquility, wealth, and multiplying those precious moments. Welcome to this episode of The Determined Mom Show. I have the amazing Dr. Kimia Nuru Dennis with me, and we are on episode two of a series that we're doing together where I feel like I'm just picking her brain, but (laughs) she's sharing so much amazing information that we all really need to pay attention to and apply. So welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited that you're here. And one thing that I know should be addressed in this day and age, and you work very much and very heavily in it in 365 diversity is schools. I got a letter because it's black history month from the superintendent of our kids school. Now I will say that we live in a predominantly white area and a predominantly white school district. And we live in the least affluent area of that school district. And so we live in like a borough, which is kind of like a little tiny city. And then almost all the other people live in big suburban houses around, right? So that's the school district, just so you're aware. So this is the letter that the school district sent or the superintendent sent. And actually someone Googled this and they found that they actually just copied it from Google. So uh, almost 100 years ago in 1925, Negro History Week conceived by the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History was established as a means to bring awareness to the contributions of African-Americans to society. First officially recognized in 1926, the week-long celebration occurring in February soon became an integral part of American culture. 50 years later in 1976, the week-long celebration was expanded and renamed Black History Month and continues to focus on the recognition and celebration of the rich and diverse history of African-American culture in the United States. I encourage you and your children to visit the Black History Month website and National Geographic for Kids to learn more. That was the entire thing. (laughs) And I was enraged when I read it, but let's talk about that. It is. Yes. So most white people in particular, and I will say non-black people in general, do not see the problem with that official statement. I always tell people official statements are problematic because it is copy and paste. It doesn't address the context of the demographics and cultures represented in schools, in districts, in cities, in entire states, and the the nation's history, right? So it's insulting. It's, it also demonstrates the problem with American education system. And this is also why I tell people that when school decision makers don't understand this problem, this is why schools are failing. And we're talking about for centuries failing, including when students have 4.0 GPAs, including if they go to quote unquote Ivy League, that I don't respect those either. Yeah. The end of that horrible letter also highlights the problem with the curriculum. Because for goodness sake, the superintendent could not say, hey, if you have questions, check out the wonderful materials in the library, in this section of the library. The superintendent couldn't say, if you have questions, we're doing this virtual session at the school based on our existing curriculum as part of the accreditation and the historical and current component of the school exams that we provide to address the span of history, sciences and mathematics that include black history, black sciences and mathematics. 
whenever schools have to tell people to go to National Geographic or someplace <laughs> else for a website, yeah. that's admitting that the schools don't have that information. Yeah. And they're not capable of even talking to children about this information. That's the other thing that I'm finding to be striking. Well, they don't want to be capable. So even if they paid somebody to come in and do a PD or a racial justice training, it's not to change stuff. Mm -hmm. It's to say, hey, we're polite white people. The end. Right. We mean well. We just can't change anything. Yeah. So yeah, so that's uh, a very typical, it's a very typical letter. I've been members of like speaker organizations and they would send out these very copy and paste official statements on certain months to say, hey, we're happy that it's certain month. And I'm like, hmm, you implementing this every day and not just on a certain month. Yeah. And, and so that, that school is the same problem. So what are you going to do about it though? I plan on uh, trying to run for school board because there is no, there's no, well, first of all, I've been to my daughter's school, like the elementary school, and I've seen dozens of teachers. There are no, I mean, of any color teachers in her school, in the elementary school. And that's just the fourth and fifth grade elementary school. I've been to the middle school and I have not seen any teachers of any color. However, there are plenty of students of color. And so there's that you know, misrepresentation there where like, I would love for my daughters, if they feel uncomfortable about something to have someone to even go to, to talk about it. Like they're not going to go to their white guidance counselor and the guidance counselor is going to understand the chances of that happening are like pretty much slim to none. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's definitely not likely. So those are issues that need to definitely be addressed in the school district. And I, and planning on, you know, running for school board. So thank you. I'm part of your campaign. So just let me know if you need some help. Awesome. Some, some things to think about with the terminology that you use, and this will mm-hmm. shape your campaign possibly as well. So I do not subscribe to the phrase or acronym that includes of color. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm not of color. I'm black, specifically of African descent. I don't even say African-American because yeah. Uh, you know, white people don't say white American, right? Mm-hmm. So, so keep that in mind because as black people, white people forced us to be colored people, right? right. Colored folks, uh, water fountains, not for colored people. Mm-hmm. All humans have color. Right. If anyone ever has watched the movie Tuskegee Airmen, which I love so much. Mm-hmm. So that older movie, there's a scene where the black Tuskegee Airmen are in a bar with the white Tuskegee Airmen and the white men are like, oh, you're colored. And he was like, why you call me color? He says, white people get pale, white people blush, white yep. people turn green if they get sick. You know, this whole comedy of saying, yeah. why are we the colored people when you all have various colors under your shade Ooh, of, that's so true. of skin complexion, right? Mm-hmm. And so calling people of color or colored is that mm-hmm. same, like we're talking about the false racial neutrality, pretending right. that white people are like, not just race neutral, but also in a sense, like alien life forms where we can see straight through their skin, like transparent. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it goes, right? Yeah. Especially when we talk about different shades of melanin in addition yep. to ethnicities that have become identified racially as white. So that's something to consider because when we present this information, 
we tell people, like sometimes I use the phrase black and brown people, but I even have challenged myself to stop using that as much because that's still yeah. like this category instead of specifically saying indigenous, aboriginal, black, African. Yeah. Breaking you know, it down, Asian, right? Desperate, yeah. Indian, you know, I always tell people when you act like you don't have time to, to specify, like when I do trainings, it's very common. The whole training, I'm talking about black people, but then white people say, yeah, people of color. And I'm like, literally, no, mm-hmm. this whole time I've said black people. Yeah. And, they and, and now you're saying, yeah. yeah. So that's just yeah. something to keep in mind because yeah. when you, when you change the language, it also highlights even more that white people are not just spectators. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for centuries, white people have contributed to and benefited from white power, uh, terrorism, transatlantic slavery, colonialism, benefiting from the crime system, from the prison system. Benefit includes tax paying, right? Yep. Tax benefits, uh, the value of land, the the city planning and city design, including poor white people who have struggled in terms of having their voices heard. A lot of times when their voices get heard more and more, especially during certain elections happen, right? Right. So so this is where we just want people to understand that we can't say white people are apathetic, but then keep using language in which it doesn't include white people. Mm -hmm. So that's also very helpful because it also would shape that kind of horrible official statement. Yeah. Because that superintendent kind of wrote it like a spectator, like, yeah. you know, those people, this is their month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to yeah. learn more. Yeah. Go exactly. to that website. Instead of saying, this is literally a month that needs to be every day. Yep. Just like, you know, this is black history is American history. It's world history. It's something that we all need to know. Yeah. Therefore it's not like a distant learning kind of thing. Yeah. It's an everyday integral part. And I am mm-hmm. totally guilty of that, of kind of rushing through it and, and, uh, hurrying to not break down that, you know, all of the different races that I'm talking about. So I completely mm-hmm. understand what you're saying. Um, and I will make sure that that is corrected going forward and making sure that I am taking the time to address everyone accordingly, you know? Yeah. And it also connects to the divisions within the groups who are called Mm -hmm. of color because this falsehood that we're all united Mm -hmm. to address problems ignores the history of the indigenous people, of black people, of Asians, of different religions and anti-blackness and anti-indigenous anti-asian and also how city design includes everyone except for non-black people getting access to bank loans so that's also something to consider and so if you run for that school board Mm -hmm. position you'll also want to explain how the school board is shaped and the schools are shaped by the city design and the city planning And and so that's just i'm sorry go ahead I was just going to say, it doesn't seem like there's anyone from our neighborhood because like our next door neighbor is Puerto Rican. The next door neighbor is Dominican. There's a black family across the street. Like, it doesn't seem like there's anyone from our neighborhood represented Mm -hmm. on the school board. You know, it's just that outside suburban area that's represented. Yep. And that's, and that's again, that part of the city and state design. Mm-hmm. It's intentionally, and again, that's the classism always interlocks with racism. And so um, if you think about this, there's like centuries of writings about how class always interlocks with race. 
So there's a lot of writings about that, Black uh, writers and Indigenous writers in particular. And so to make those changes, you'll want to address, because if you're talking only about racism, a lot of people will be like standoffers, right? But when you start talking about how classism interlocks with racism, ableism, and everything else, some people will be more willing to listen, but then it will still be difficult to make changes. So the question is then, are there people who are also have a problem with that official statement besides you? Yeah. And is it time to have a meeting to discuss, even a virtual meeting? Yeah. I don't no. even know how I would find those people. I guess maybe if I put post it on like next door, like I posted on my Facebook page. And of course there, I have friends all over the country that understood it and like understood why, but they're not here in the school district. So I don't know how many other people <laughs> would understand in this school district. And that's the other thing is it's scary, you know? Yeah. I mean, some people might actually want to discuss this. Um, so this is why I always would recommend creating some kind of event, right, to get people's voices out there. Hmm. And so that you don't feel like you're by yourself, because when I think about that official statement, they really drafted that. They thought it was something special. Mm-hmm. You know, they did. You know, they thought they were. um doing something really profound and um, they would ask, what's the problem? Yeah. And which is scary because you'll be exhausted because you have to, the the distraction is for you to explain the problem over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is where you'll have to have, again, your deal breakers. Like what's the timeline for when we're going to discuss this? what's the timeline for when we're going to have to admit a percentage of people will either never understand, never care, or will dis- they'll disagree. And these include the people who are pretending that this all started because of critical race theory or pretending it all started because of pro-Trump or anti-Trump stuff, or they'll pretend this is all started during COVID. They won't yeah. care about centuries of stuff that just articulates in different ways. Yeah. So you'll have to create your own groundwork so that you're not easily distracted and you're not easily dismayed and you're going to be disappointed. You know? I'm already disappointed every, every day. Like just living here is very disappointing. <laughs> yeah. And so this is where I tell, I understand that. Mm-hmm. So this is where just reading that official statement, I can already guess what's in the library, what's in the curriculum. I already know where they get their publishers you know, and I know that if they're talking about changing textbooks, it's like adding a chapter mm-hmm. without changing everything. And they'll lie and say they don't change curriculum because now it's based on the budget. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, the school district has a very nice budget. So it's not a poor school district. It's not strapped for crash. It's there's never a question of the stadium lights being on or, you know, like, like that's mm-hmm. not, it's not that kind of school district. So there's no, there should be no question of that. Yep. And so that's where you'll have to just have those discussions of what is our focus. Mm-hmm. And people will say, of course, we want to make sure our children learn and they have to look at how they define learning. That's crazy. Okay. Well, You're giving me all kinds of uh, work to do here and I'm loving it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it. how they define learning because mm-hmm. this is K through 12 and college university. I mean, even when you teach graduate students and train people throughout their careers, 
you find that they've oftentimes stuck to what they were always told. Mm-hmm. And they were, t- they oftentimes are told to just agree so that they can get to the next level. Yeah. Uh, and say, it's similar to when we're talking to students about having to not just memorize and regurgitate, but actually learn. Like, here's some real life examples. How does this pertain to real life? Sometimes students, K through 12 colleges, university, and graduate programs get offended because they've been taught all their life in parts of the world that you're not really learning. You just get through school by memorizing this, this, and this. And that's also part of industrial labor. That's also part of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, the profit is based on people who don't have options. They can't demand higher pay. They can't demand safer workplace because they come from schools that are intentionally designed to just make you subscribe to that. And it also happens in wealthy environments. A lot of times people think that just because there's private schools, charter schools, or mansions, that now this is an awesome curriculum, it's literally the same curriculum, same publishers. The topic that we're kind of addressing in this episode is what needs to change in school curriculum. So how in the world do we get them to change a curriculum? Like, what does that process look like? Yeah, so those of us who've created curriculum and done annual evaluations for accreditation know how you create courses, you create the description of the courses, you select books or articles. So when I teach now, I provide free books so that students don't have to go into debt trying to purchase a textbook. And when you're selecting books, articles, or anything, like I also do like medical art. So showing artistry as forms of health and medicine, you have to look at who are the demographics and cultures represented in creating the stuff, publishing it, and accessing it. This is literally school officials, school decision makers, school teachers, and libraries, they actually know how to do this. They just don't do it because they're not required for accreditation purpose. But for nine years, I did annual assessments with libraries. They go through everything in the library. They told you, here's the stuff that's outdated. We want to get rid of. What do you want implemented in the library? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. everyone who's claiming to be a librarian, yeah, I mean, they do it. I tell people, you can't be a librarian if you're now pretending that you don't know how to assess everything that's on the shelf. The same way they know when a book is missing and it hasn't been returned, right? They also can look at the demographic data the same way they look at the copyright year of publication. They, they realize when they have certain treasures, like some old books that they don't want anyone to be able to take out of the library because it's a treasure. It's the same process. They assess and evaluate their materials. That and as faculty, so- as, yeah, as teachers, faculty, we have to go through our course materials too. People know how this happens. They just don't want to do it as it pertains to increasing access and for minoritized groups mm-hmm. and reducing the prevalence of the power majority. So right. a lot of times people think that if we're going to increase information provided by indigenous people, black people, Asians, non-white, Hispanic, non-white, Latinx, Latin A, Latin O, we got to make sure that we still buffer it with having a lot of white people, mm-hmm. Right. Because the idea is the falsehood that if you now have classes where you don't read a whole bunch of white people then you're and just, you're not learning, yes. yeah, that now you're not teaching factual history, you're not teaching yeah. factual sciences, you're not te- teaching factual med- 
um, you know, medication discussions if, if it's a medical school. Because again, it, just like we're talking about gender, a lot of times people say we're going to keep women's topics as a special topics course. Right. Yeah. yeah that's so true. And, and you're like, then what's the main course then? Yeah. Okay. What is the main thinking behind that? Is it like that they don't want people to forget about white history and that they don't want for white people to lose the credit for all of the things that they've quote unquote done? What is that fear? I'm kind of curious if you know. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's genuine fear mm-hmm. unless you're talking about people afraid to lose their jobs. What it really is, it's, yeah. it's the same notion of power because mm-hmm. they realize that the majority of teachers and decision makers and despite black people and indigenous people paying high taxes, including in lower income areas, white taxpayers and white voters are the people whose opinions matter the most. When they say they're afraid, it's more so they're afraid of making people angry whose voting and whose demands matter. So like black people, indigenous people in particular were told to not be outraged, to be silent if we appear at a school um, council meeting. Yeah. However, white people can show up bringing firearms, yep. wearing bulletproof vests, screaming, going without a mask during COVID, angry about a theory that they, that's not in any, you know, these critical race theory is not even in most law schools yeah. and it's existed since the 1980s. So like this new outrage is an example of new white consciousness. Mm-hmm. So basically white people can do whatever they want to do. Like January 6th, 2021 nation's capital illustrates that white people are allowed in every city and every state. Like literally I have been to programs where as black people, we've been told change is not going to happen if you're angry. So we're like, okay, I won't be angry. We'll do what Dr. W.B. Du Bois said, double consciousness of black people having to wear different hats everywhere. Right. Well, white people are not told be calm, which includes white liberals. Right. Yeah, that's so true. We can be outraged about anything that we want to be outraged about. And it's okay because, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, white women are allowed to come in screaming about, we are not learning about women scientists. And usually when white women say women scientists, they're talking about white women scientists in particular, a lot of times, and cisgender, Mm -hmm. heterosexual white women. So this is just something when we're talking about how to change that, we also have to understand who has asked for changes for centuries of course, not in every school district, because some school districts are only a particular group of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like so a lot one. of times they haven't heard those. But I tell people this is not a new demand for most schools, just like in larger, moderate size or larger cities where they say this is the first time people have demanded to change the police department. No, it's not. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the origins after Emancipation Proclamation, Mm -hmm. the origins of police departments in Europe and how colonialism and colonialists sent certain types of police departments around the world, militarization and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Demands to change police have always existed, right? They've never, yeah, they've never been implemented because it's not gonna benefit uh, the white race as a whole. Well, it doesn't benefit the white race that's based in profiting the government and government control. Mm-hmm. So that's why I tell people, you know, when people say America is a democracy, it's a democracy based on what we call relative deprivation. Mm-hmm. Relative means how is it compared to elsewhere? So like Black people, those of us who are descendants of enslaved Africans that forced us here, 
we're told if you complain, how do you think it would feel if you were here where it's your people are impoverished? Mm-hmm. Most people around the world are impoverished mm-hmm. yeah, in most of the world, right. right? Including in Britain, right? Which is why the white people escaped Britain in the first place. So, but we're told don't complain, be grateful. And then people try to use religion, like, thank God mm-hmm. that, you know, you're a descendant of enslaved, terrorized, murdered, raped yeah. um, Africans. And so, so that's why when you explain how to change curriculum, you just have to have a discussion of, we can't just say this abstract thing, change curriculum. Instead, we have to say, here are the details. Mm-hmm. Like, let's look at this textbook. Let's look at the reference pages. 99% of the people cited in the reference page are white people. Mm-hmm. Despite five centuries of Black people writing about enslavement, about the crime system, about the origins of police in the USA, despite centuries of that from Black people and Indigenous people, how is this whole reference section in the work cited pages? Why is it a bunch of white people? Yep. Why are these the most notable intellects and scholars and teachers? Yeah, especially on that topic. I mean, it doesn't even make, yeah. Well, it was just like if we're talking about gender variation and sexuality, and it's just a bunch of cisgender heterosexual people being cited Mm -hmm. as the expert. Like, yeah. Like, that's how the power comes into play. Therefore, people are taught that it's only something to be learned and changed if the power majority are the ones that consider it important at any given moment. Mm-hmm. But then the power majority has the ability to change their mind and say, okay, this is no longer important. We're going to skip chapter four. It's not yeah. even going to be in the test. And that's, yeah. So that's why it's important to have that entire textbook changed and not just ones that include, you know, just bits and pieces, right? Yeah. I mean, this is why I tell people you have to dissect what's in the libraries, mm-hmm. like the city library as well, because that's also the groundwork for the uh, school libraries, mm-hmm. because they're part of the same, usually library and associations and so forth. Yeah. They oftentimes do meetings together. So this is how all of that goes together. And then a lot of times teachers and school decision makers and school officials will say, we can't change curriculum too much because accreditation doesn't require that. So that's basically smacking us in the face and saying, justice and equity and inclusion have to be based on what the politicians tell us to do because accreditation agencies are connected to you know the political framework same as standardized tests so this is why i always just tell people again what are your deal breakers you know when i left full-time academia after creating an academic program i just had to know that my work has a span beyond debating this one side you know Mm -hmm. And, and this is where just people have to, some teachers didn't have a deal breaker till COVID happened, of course. Yeah. But the oppressions that they're calling out during COVID have literally existed for centuries. Yeah. You know, yeah. they stayed at the school to pay their bills or whatever the case. And then COVID was their deal breaker. So that's why I tell people, everyone has a deal breaker. You just have to realize that your deal breaker oftentimes ignored or downplayed or excused away the oppressions of when their deal breaker has ignored the oppressions and alienation of other people. So like, let's say you're working for a school and the school does not have bathrooms that can be used by people of every gender identity and gender non-identities. Let's say that you have a school where they don't have a ramp 
for people to use or elevators. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have a school where you don't have quote unquote ESL, which yeah. includes, you know, black vernacular. We're talking about how languages have had to change for centuries. Let's say you have a school where you don't have people with um, certain visual conditions that can understand the, the course materials. Mm-hmm. Let's say you, that, those are all the problems in the school. Y'all have talked about them in PDs for no reason because nothing's changed, but you've ignored it because you said I need to keep my job. Yeah, complacency. Then you pre- yeah, but then you pretend to be shocked that these problems persist because people are pretending that inequities are just about good people versus bad people. Inequities persist because if you're going to comply regardless, it's just like when we talk about being a good customer, right? If you have horrible, a place that has horrible customer services, but you're going to still be there every day, they're going to keep doing what they do, right? Yeah. Same thing with schools and elsewhere. There's no incentive for them to change if you're like, oh, well, you know, see you tomorrow. Yep. We'll be here. Yep. So a lot of people, it wasn't until COVID that they said, that is my, you know, I've crossed the line there. And you're like, okay, you crossed the line here, but what about that other stuff that you excused away all those years? Yeah. yeah. So you, you almost uh, mute your voice by, mute the validity of your complaints by not complaining from the beginning, right? Or you, you're not uh, protesting. Well, I tell people, you know, most of us, especially with primary minoritized identities, don't protest most things, right? Because as mm-hmm. I said in the last session, we have to ignore a lot of stuff. That's mm-hmm. how we grow up and coexist in many spaces. Because yeah. you know, you'll have a horrible life if you think that you're going to be outspoken and outraged about every problem. Mm-hmm. But you just have to decide what you're going to accept and tolerate. Yeah. Because if you do decide that you finally have a deal breaker, like the COVID deal breakers for a lot of teachers, that's also their time to speak out about a lot of things happening in the school. Like Mm -hmm. I would give a lot of respect to the teachers who said they're leaving a school district or a particular school because of COVID, harmful non-restrictions at the school. And then say, speaking of which, here's why I should have left in previous years, this, 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 and this. That's where you're not allowing schools to pretend that COVID is the only problem. Because like a lot of these schools, they did official statements during the George Floyd protests. And then they're like, we're going to make some changes, darn it. You know, Dr. Dennis, we're going to hire you. And then, uh oh, COVID happened. Now we're busy for this. I'm like, literally multitasking means multitasking. Yeah. Which means, you know, if you're talking about, yeah, if you're talking about sexism, ableism, homophobia, transphobia, racism, anti-Blackness, anti-Indigenous, anti-Asian that did not pause because of COVID. Mm-hmm. In fact, health problems, health tragedies actually Increase. reinforce these existing problems. Yeah. Because when people get desperate about anything, they harm the most minoritized people. Yeah. Like Very Americans, despite, despite five centuries of terrorism around the world from white people, people in USA and Canada and Europe wanted to pretend that everyone had equal access to vaccines. Yeah. And they, yeah. like, that's the stupidity. I'm like, people start saying, if you're not vaccinated, don't come around me. Or if you, if you're not vaccinated, you deserve to die. I'm going to laugh it off. Everyone has access to these free vaccines. I'm said, that's interesting because 
We talk about five centuries of medical racism, scientific racism, health racism that ties to classism, that ties to ableism, that ties to sexism. Mm -hmm. But yet you're foolish enough to think that all of these stopped to give everyone the same access mm -hmm. to vaccines yeah. as though every city and every state has good pharmacies in every neighborhood that are mm -hmm. safe to go to that everyone has access to vaccines that have not expired, despite news stories that have been released locally that explain that people have been given expired vaccines. USA has sent expired vaccines on the continent of Africa. So I tell people these inequities, they don't pause just because the government or politician tells you everyone has access. Mm -hmm. That means that everyone is theoretically given access and the government and the decision makers don't care enough to actually do the follow-up and see who actually is accessing it. And is it the real stuff they need? Mm -hmm. Is it a real vaccine? Or is it someone on the corner pretending that this is a vaccine? Yeah. So the same thing happened when we were talking to schools releasing official statements. We need them to do follow-up and explain what are they really doing beyond Black History Month? Yeah. Beyond the curriculum critiques. Yeah. Beyond everything, really. That's awesome. Beyond everything. And it's it's a constant process. So that's what you and I talked about before. Changes are for the entire existence of humans. Humans have been horrible for hundreds of thousands of years. People who think that one training has solved everything, reading one book has solved everything, whatever the case may be, they're not invested in changes. Mm -hmm. yeah. They need to understand that they do their part in their lifetime beyond hashtags, beyond you know just being mad about stuff. You do your part to address your own power, demographic identities, and other people's. And then you leave some kind of resources for every generation for the remainder of human existence. And that's how okay. changes happen in schools as well. Yep. And it it's a gradual everyday process, not a once a year, like, you know, the Black History Month process. So, and it's not just a PD. I tell school decision makers, school teachers, principals, counselors, that PDs are the same as any other kind of committee training. Like, what are you doing beyond this formality? Mm -hmm. Is it doing more than building up your resume, networking with the people? Like, what are y'all changing? And then if you say, then people oftentimes will say, well, I can't do this change myself. I say, well, then that's what you should have said at that PD. And I've had people tell that's me true. that they've been like, I appreciate this PD, but how can we change it? And that's when I explain how to change it. Mm -hmm. But I said, but those of you who do not speak up and speak out and admit that you don't know what you're doing and changes are hard, you have to also blame yourself now for pretending that the PD was sufficient and now mm -hmm. things have changed. Yeah, it's just being silent and and just kind of going along with what you're learning, but not really understanding the context and the con the content really. Doesn't that sound familiar to what people critique K through twelve students and college university students for doing? Mm -hmm. They yeah. oftentimes critique students for just being there, yeah. not paying attention. Now people are on smartphones. Guess what? They're also learning from what the adults in their lives do every single day. This is literally what their family members do. This is literally what teachers do. When I do PDs and other trainings, you'll find teachers, school officials, principals, politicians 
texting, falling asleep. They're literally, they're the, now they're the ones who are the decision makers who control people's lives, mm-hmm. who control people's resources, who control where money is being spent. And they're doing what they criticize children for doing when yep. children are in the classes. Yeah. That's the scary part. Just That's just like when we talk about politicians and Congress members. When you see images of them on C-SPAN and they're texting and stuff, you're like, we're paying your salary. We're voting for you. And I'm like, well, duh, if you're mad at them doing that at the federal level, look at what people are doing at the state and local level. Yeah, that definitely. For, you know, yeah. school people, these school employees are being paid through you too, mm-hmm. including in private entities, because private entities might be funded through other ways that you're contributing to. Yeah. So don't just be mad at the people in Washington, D.C., because they're just doing what's been done everywhere, literally yeah. everywhere. That's a great lesson for all of us and everything that we do, that if we're going to do something, we need to do it the whole way and not text or fall asleep our way through it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and don't just be mad at these, these presidents of the United States of America and, mm-hmm. and other politicians, they represent the horror since the founding of America on stolen land being forced to be built by stolen, raped and murdered people. I always tell people Changes are impossible if people pretend these problems started in 2016 Mm -hmm. or even in 2020 because of COVID. When people make this about anti-Trump, pro-Trump, anti-GOP, pro-GOP, Democrats, libertarians, when they make it about critical race theory, any of that, these are people who are distractors, they're deflectors, and they are not people who actually want to make changes. They're people who just need to stay on Twitter going back and forth with other people because they're not people who are actually going to do some stuff. I agree, especially in real life and in everyday situations. All right. Well, this was an amazing episode and I thank you so much. Do you have any, just even just one mention of a curriculum that is something that you feel like we should all be, or, you know, our kids should be learning? Us in terms of certain material? Or like, you know, like a a K-12 curriculum, for example. So what I think of, so there are two things. So one is, unfortunately, there's an Ivy League that has, I think it's Black faculty who's releasing like a long list of curriculum change assessments. And unfortunately, some curriculum change committees across the nation have adopted that. And they think it's a standard for changing the curriculum. I Mm -hmm. encourage people to not use that. Okay. Ivy League is Ivy League because it's funded. Yeah. It's well, because of white power, Mm -hmm. white funding, they're on stolen land. It's intentional. It's the intent of struggling indigenous schools, struggling HBCUs, and then people celebrating Ivy League people. And Ivy League, of course, is the foundation of it came from initially their sports, but then Mm -hmm. the sports funding, you know, became this. So whenever people do their equity work based in Ivy League and Research One School. I tell people, you actually should have contacted indigenous schools. Mm-hmm. You should have contacted HBCUs. You should have contacted women's colleges. You should have contacted the general communities and neighborhoods and asked people about the resources at Black libraries, Black bookstores. When you go to Ivy League, that's saying that the people at the top end of this pyramid scheme are the people whose opinions matter most yeah and the power majority as between the race socioeconomic status forms of gender identity are the ones who are giving you all the criteria 
-hmm. ignoring centuries of people in communities, including artists who have told you, here's what we need to be reading and learning. Mm -hmm. You're ignoring that and you're saying Ivy League. So that's one thing I tell people to not subscribe to that. If you're part of a curriculum committee and you see an Ivy League's curriculum being celebrated, trust and believe there are curriculums that have existed centuries before that one was presented. Okay. So the second part is I encourage people who are interested in mathematics to do internet searches where you can find entire books like African mathematics books. There are entire indigenous mathematics books. So a lot of times white people, when they're outraged that I critique white science, white mathematics, they'll say, this stuff does not vary by race. Mm -hmm. As it actually does. Cause when we're talking about hundreds of thousands of years of indigenous, Aboriginal, Asians, Africans, but yet mysteriously, most stuff presented are white men, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Then yeah, it does. It is about race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but people can do internet search and you can find some entire PDF documents of African books. There are entire PDF documents for annotated bibliographies and bibliographies so that you can find some books. Some of the books are difficult to find. So you're going to have to contact libraries and schools across the nation and parts of the world. Because when we talk about stuff being difficult to find, there's a reason for that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not going to be easy because they don't want it to be easy. They yeah. don't want it to be easy. It's not mm -hmm. going to be uh, found easily by publishers because they want people for five centuries and for the future to pretend that white people are the inventors of sciences, white people are the inventors of the mathematics that pulls from Asian mathematics as well. They want people to pretend that white people are the first people to have laboratories, that white people are the first people to have universities, that white people are the first people to have court systems and forms of law enforcement and legal analysts. They want people to think white people created the real arts and the real forms of music that are to be known as classical. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, that's the whole design so that the rest of us are, again, a special topics course. If you want to learn about indigenous math, African math, it's like when I took a finite math class in undergrad, I was a first year and the finite math was a very excited white man. He was drawing shapes. Mm -hmm. He was really excited. Back then we didn't know that finite math includes hundreds of thousands of years of the original mathematics that are shapes before there were numbers, before yeah. there was an equation, literally shapes that articulated many things. The same way you see scientists talk about medicines created after shapes, mm -hmm. you know, European white people did not create that. They yeah. contributed to that, but they're not the first people. Instead, when we talk about the trade industry that happened before colonialism, the trade industry that transmitted East India to Africa, and that's how you see kente cloth that are oftentimes taken from East Indian attire as well. Mm -hmm. That's a trade industry before white people started colonialism. So yeah. learning about the history of the sharing of knowledge helps you understand that some of this sharing of knowledge was consensual on both sides. Yeah. But then the colonialism yeah. initiated by European white people, that's when it became terrorism. Mm -hmm. It wasn't consensual. And also it depicts falsely as white people being the first people to have trade ships. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. First of all, yeah, slavery has been around the world for thousands of years, but this is a different form of slavery for a different purpose that spread all around the world. So the trade ships, we talk about before the continents broke up, 
what it meant when people were on different continents around the world, what became continents. That's interesting. Do you follow, I know you know, I'm not even, I already know this because we had a conversation about this before a little bit, but do you follow um, kind of what's going on in Mali and in a lot of the African countries regarding yeah. the colonial powers right now? Yes, I do. So I'm also, I'm Pan-African. So mm-hmm. that's um, come from a family of Pan-Africans where we, it's like f- 150 years of connecting all of us around the world. Mm-hmm. And we try to keep up with that as much as possible. So Pan-African and also I'm part of the organization Black Alliance for Peace. And I'm part of the Baltimore chapter. And so what it's based on is understanding, unfortunately, what's happening in the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, including where most of us are descendants of West Africa. And so what's happening there is, is when you're talking about people getting rid of the uprising or they're doing an uprising to get rid of the government, it's important work, right? Because this is an uprising that's happened before the European form of anti-fascism existed, right? And it's forms of uprising that existed before Karl Marx and, you know, existed, and, and that's always why I highlight this, because a lot of times when people talk about anti-capitalism, they think about socialism and communism through European form, like, yeah, you know, Frederick Engels and Karl Marx. And of course, Karl Marx is also a sociologist and economist. But I always tell people, you can't do this justice work if you only know the works done by European white men. You got to understand how... Asians, Africans, indigenous, Aboriginal were overthrowing colonialists, how Haitians did the revolution against the French and how all of this started before Karl Marx really was doing all this stuff. And of course you have to know how white people harmed Haitians ever since that revolution, which is why Haiti is the most impoverished nation in the Western hemisphere. That's the eternal punishment for doing an overthrow against the colonialists. So yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like all of this, everything is completely intertwined and it is all based on power and greed and control. I mean, that's literally the biggest thing that all of those things bleed into every single aspect of everything. And that's beyond people's biases. It's beyond people's politeness or impoliteness. It's beyond religious beliefs. And that includes when talking about like grant funders, grant providers, we're talking about nonprofits that have tax incentives to provide grants. There's a reason why the wealthiest nonprofit providers in much of the world are white people, and that includes white Jews, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's where we always tell people, we can appreciate people, we can appreciate their role in reducing their power as much as possible by giving to the world, while also understanding that their role in giving to the world also furthers their power because it says a lot when you become a wealthy nonprofit (laughs) that's celebrated. So this is what I always tell people. I don't believe in a such thing as power majority allies. So I don't call anyone an ally. I'm cisgender heterosexual. Never do I go to pride parade and call myself an ally. I don't believe in a such thing as white ally. I don't believe in a such thing as cisgender men ally for gender equity. Mm -hmm. I believe in people who are collaborators and contributors for equity but to want the ally title is ignoring how, even when you contribute to change, you're being worshiped and thanked oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And instead the attention should be on the minoritized group and not appreciating the oppressors for trying right. to reduce power. So, yep. 
a perfect way to end this conversation. So we can go ahead and get into the next one, which is another really, really powerful one, especially within the last, I would say three years with a lot of the the racial Racial tensions have always been there, but in the last few years, they've definitely uh, become more mainstream and more talked about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Kimya. And we will uh, talk to you again in a minute.